ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, tonight, hope you all had a terrific Independence Day in the United States, and I hope you enjoy the Brandon's World 4th of July special. But none of the 4th of July has passed. It is Thursday, July 6, 2023, and a Thursday means a new episode of Brandon's World. Today, I am going to be going into my top 10 NFL head coaches that are on the hot seat going into the 2023 NFL season. Of course, last week, I did my top 10 NFL teams that are under pressure as I slowly start to unveil my 2023 NFL predictions. Today, we're going to do my top 10 NFL head coaches under pressure going into the current NFL season. And I'm going to tell you what the most overrated statistic in all of Major League Baseball is. Before I get there, though, you already know. You can go on your little Twitter machine. There's a lot of changes happening over on that little tweet bird. But go there. Go to at Brandon Lewis underscore seven. Give me a follow. That is my personal Twitter. While you're there, type in at real, R-E-A-L, the underscore B-W-O-R-L-D. That is real underscore B-World. That is the Brandon's World official Twitter account. And, of course, you already know we are available on all audio and video podcasting platforms, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, Spotify for podcasters, formerly known as Anchor, or whether it's watching the video version of the podcast on YouTube, the Brandon's World Podcast is there for you, and we are in collaboration with the one and only Voltage Live. Also, before we get to the topics of today's podcast, a couple of announcements. Number one, pertaining to what's going to happen this upcoming Tuesday's show on Brandon's World. I did not put any NBA topics in today's show because I'm going to be covering that on Tuesday when my good friend, my good buddy, Jaywin Sandvik joins the show. If you remember, Jaywin joined the show in February. We played a lot of games with him. Uh, I did a fair or foul with him, which was a very popular segment, which we're going to bring back uh, here towards the end of July, as well as I did a buy, sell, or hold with Jalen as it pertains to all topics in the sports world, and I add him on as a regular guest. So Jalen is going to help me out in this new game we're going to play. It's going to be NBA slash NFL deal or no deal. I have a PowerPoint with briefcases and everything that's going to be set up. I realize on audio, it's going to be a little bit difficult to keep track. But if you guys want to go watch it on YouTube, I'm all fine for that. Uh, obviously, in the summer, there's not a lot going on. We like playing games over here at the Brands World Podcast. So I thought it would be a really fun way uh, to dive into Damian Lower, Zion Williamson, Trey Lance, Stefan Diggs, some of the major names that have been on the trade market either recently or fairly recently, and I'm going to see if I can make a deal that satisfies, obviously, the Blazers, the Pelicans, the Niners, and the Bills while Jaywin plays the deal maker. And then my other announcement is on August 8th. That will be the Season 7 finale of Brandon's World. 
And I would love to take this time today to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all the listeners, to all the viewers of the Brandon's World podcast. Brandon's World, if you did not know, obviously started out as a YouTube exclusive show on September 3rd, 2018. Within three weeks later, quickly moved over to the radio where we would spend nearly three years at Black School Radio, my college at Kent State University, hosting a once-a-week, two-hour radio special. Then when I graduated from Kent State in May of 2021, I essentially took that summer off, came back in the fall of 2021, and now have been exclusively running the Brandon Ford Podcast completely on my own, independently, nobody else really helping me, me trying to get my own sponsors, me planning my own show, you know, planning my own guests, uh, producing the show, editing the show, uploading the show. Everything you see on the end of the Brands World podcast right now is all me. And as I've said numerous times, uh, whether it's been in other writings or occasionally on this podcast, I would love to expand the podcast. Obviously, we're going to talk mostly sports. There may be times we dive into other elements as well, but I'd love to expand it. You know, I'd love to have a team, a social media team, a video editing team, you know, an audio editing team, uh, et cetera. You know, what OOs maybe to bounce some ideas back and forth of, kind of like the herd with Colin Coward what Colin has had with Joy Taylor, and now obviously with Jason McIntyre, even though it'd be kind of mostly my show. Uh, there's a lot that goes into Brandon's world, and I hope you've seen the evolution of it, specifically in the last year, what we call season seven of the show, that being a fall 2022, all the way through here of winter, spring, summer of 2023 we started in september last year obviously reviewing clash of the castle diving into all things football this year right after SummerSlam, we will take a month break and unlike in years past the brand world podcast this year outside of an illness that i had you know right before thanksgiving all the way through christmas that six week stretch where i did not have a voice at all um, unfortunately, we cannot record shows, but ever since then, this show has been rolling. Views are up. I want to thank you guys tremendously for that. I did have to miss one show at the end of May due to unfortunate circumstances, and my good buddy Josh Unger over at Voltage Live filled in for me. And so, you know, next year, if I ever get sick or anything like that, Josh will be able to fill in for me. We're both at Voltage now. Uh, Unger obviously does a lot of video collaborations. I've linked his channel before. You can look him up, Unger to the max. And if Unger was able to be ill, I can fill in for him so we can sort of keep this momentum and this content train rolling. I am very proud of the way the 4th of July special came out. That was one of the first times, and I would say the other time would be the Christmas special that we did this past year, which was not supposed to be what it turned into, but it ended up being sort of a one-shot thing because of my illness where, again, you know, I was coughing uh, a lot, you know, hunking up a lot of stuff and not really talk uh, and managed to put together a lot of best ofs and just did really a great holiday show for you guys. But that 4th of July show 
was me, you know, coming up with a bunch of topics, speaking a lot, uh, taking very little breaks for that hour and a half podcast that that turned into. To date, that's one of the best shows of this season. It's one of the best shows I've done. Really enjoyed getting to talk a lot of wrestling, NBA, and a little bit of NFL with you. Uh, along with, obviously, the sad news over at ESPN as more layoffs continue to trickle in. But that is my monologue for today. You're probably not going to see it on video. So if you listen on audio, thoroughly appreciate you guys. Uh, and without further ado here, let's talk some baseball. I know for the first time ever, I feel like on the Brands World Podcast, we're not talking Guardians or playoffs. It's July and the Brandon's World podcast, out of all things we're leading off with on this Thursday, is Major League Baseball. And no, I am not talking about Shohei Otani. If you wanted to go back and hear my take on the best player in baseball, why I don't believe there is and will never be probably a best player in baseball, you can go listen to that hot take I had last week. But Something came up when I was doing my research and I was listening to other sports talk shows and I was going through topics, trying to figure out what to do for today's show because obviously it's the middle of July. NBA free agency has mostly been covered. We're going to wait to see what a Damian Lower or a James Arden trade looks like. We'll dive into it. I wanted to do something NFL, so that's why, you know, I came up with the top 10 NFL head coaches under pressure uh, bit that we're going to do after this segment. But something came to my attention, and I found this very fascinating. Did you know that the most overrated word slash position slash analytic, whatever you want to use, the most overused metric in Major League Baseball is not average, is not OPS, it's not war, which whatever the hell war means. Again, you guys know I'm a very casual baseball fan. I follow my Cleveland Guardians very loosely, and that's about it. Mostly because baseball does not market their stars. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second as well. But folks, this word in baseball always gets thrown around. And it's mostly because baseball, unlike the NHL, unlike the NBA, unlike the NFL, Baseball does not have a salary cap. And so this word payroll comes up. And you hear all these guys, you know, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Phillies, the Mets, you know, all these teams, they got big money. They're spending big money. They're going to be the best teams. The Dodgers, you know, all these teams in big markets. Oh, they're going to win the World Series every year. They're the best teams in baseball every year. In baseball, you have to spend money. You get free agents. You have the most talent. You're going to win it all. Folks, payroll is the most overhyped, overused, overrated word I have ever heard in my life. Do not let somebody tell you. If you have the best payroll in Major League Baseball, you're going to win the World Series every single year. It just does not happen. Because baseball, and this is why baseball does not have the best player in the game, because baseball is the ultimate team game. If you hit 10 home runs in a game, but you give up 10, it doesn't matter. If you give up zero runs, but you can't score, it doesn't matter either. 
baseball depends on great to very good pitching. You have to have a very good to great starting rotation and a very good to great bullpen. You need to have some power hitters in your lineup, but you need to have some base dealers. You need to have some contact hitters. You need to have some great pinch hitters, and you need to have some great situational hitters. Baseball, it's all about fundamentals. And so I'm going to wish you in order right now, one through 10. And let's see, you guys can play along with me at home. You guys can guess what are the top 10 payrolls currently right now in Major League Baseball? Well, number one, ladies and gentlemen, is the one and only, the vaunted New York Mets, who everybody loves. Everybody says they're going to win the World Series. This is their year. They got Scherzer. They got Verlander. They still got Francisco Lindor. They got all this talent, right? This is their year. The Mets' new owner spent $261.7 million this season on the Mets' payroll. You know what they got the Mets? They're 39 and 46. They have less wins currently, as I'm recording this the Wednesday night before the start of this podcast on Thursday. They have about the same amount of wins as the team that has spent the second lowest amount of payroll in Major League Baseball, that being the Pittsburgh Pirates. And by the way, the Pittsburgh Pirates are 40 and 45. The Mets are 39 and 46. The Pirates have spent 45.8 million. The Mets almost quadrupled them in payroll, 261.7 million, and yet it's good enough for fourth in the NL East. Last year's runner-up in the World Series, the Philadelphia Phillies with Bryce Harper, who never forget was supposedly the second best player in baseball for a long time behind Mike Trout. The Nationals traded him, or they let him go to the Phillies in free agency. And the Nationals won the World Series the year the supposedly second best player in baseball left. That doesn't happen in football. That doesn't happen in basketball. That doesn't happen in hockey. It only happens in baseball because baseball is completely starless dependent. The Philadelphia Phillies have spent $216 million this year. They're 45 and 39. It's okay. But you know what? They're third in the NL East. They're behind the Atlanta Braves, who are on this list. They are also behind the Miami Marlins, who are having a surging run this year. The Philadelphia Phillies spent $216 million and the other third in their own division. How about the San Diego Padres with Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Tatis Jr., and there was even infighting in their clubhouse. How can that be? Oh, my God, they spent all this money. They traded away all their farm. They're going to be so good. And yet they're 40 and 46. They're fourth in the NL West, and they can't even beat the Dodgers the Diamondbacks, or the Giants. Gee, I don't know. I don't know how that, how that spending all that money really works. How about the vaunted New York Yankees with the great Aaron Judge? Oh, they got a great bullpen. They got great pitching. They got pretty good inning. They can take advantage of that short porch in right field. Yeah, um, the great New York Yankees 
for them, this is a disappointing season. They're only 10 games above 500. They're 48 and 38. They're third in the American League East behind the team that everybody says nobody spends money, the Tampa Bay Rays, who, of course, been the best team in baseball all year long. And by the way, in their own division, right behind them at number five, the Toronto Blue Jays have spent $175.6 million. Once again, they're fourth in the ALEs. They have a good record, 46 and 40. But did you know that the Baltimore Orioles have only spent $48.8 million? They have the third lowest payroll in baseball, and they are second in the American League East behind the Tampa Bay Rays. The best team on this list by far is number six in payroll. That's the Atlanta Braves. They spent $169.8 million. A lot of that went to the great catcher, Sean Murphy, they traded for. They're 57 and 28. They're first in the National League East, but they have developed power inning. They have developed pitching. And they didn't sign a ton of free agents. And by the way, they have Ronald Acuna Jr., who, of course, is a star. They traded for Eddie Rosario. They traded and, and you know, grew a lot of this on-run talent. They didn't get a lot via free agency. They didn't have to pay a couple people, sure. But never forget that at the trade deadline, ladies and gentlemen, two years ago when the Atlanta Braves defeated the Houston Astros to win the World Series, the Atlanta Braves were under 500 in the middle of August. That's just how baseball works. Number seven on this list, the Houston Astros. They spent $147.7 million, and the Houston Cheaters are 48-38. and 38. By the way, they're second in the AL West behind the Texas Rangers, and the Rangers have actually spent less than they're on this list. We'll get to them in a second. The very young Chicago Cubs have spent $146.5 million. They're in eighth place. Well, they're 39 and 45. They're fourth in the NL Central, and they've spent the eighth most amount of money this year. As a matter of fact, we mentioned the Pirates at 45.8 million. The Pirates have a better record by a game, albeit, but a better record than the Chicago Cubs. Oh, and in your own division, the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, they're a small market, they have spent money. $145.2 million. They have the ninth most payroll in Major League Baseball. They have the third worst record in Major League Baseball at 35 and 50. They're behind the Appwest Pirates, whose owner hasn't spent for years. They're behind the Cubs, who are in a complete rebuild. They're behind the Brewers, who are a very good, decent, small market team. And then they're behind the Cincinnati Reds who has spent the fourth least amount of payroll in Major League Baseball at $50.4 million. They've developed all of their young talent, and they are currently 47-39, and 39, first in the NL Central. And then finally, the Texas Rangers at number 10. They've spent $141.1 million. They're 51-35. Again, a lot of their young talent was still up for the drafts, and they are first in the AL West. So, The only, I would say, three good teams from this list this year, Atlanta Braves, right there with Tampa, best team in baseball. I would say at number six, they got their money's worth at $169.8 million. I would say Houston's still very good at $147.7 million. They've dealt with injuries this year, but we all know the Astros' history. The Astros, who spent $147.7 million, kicked the ass 
I think a team that spent $183.2 million last postseason, that being the New York Yankees. And then obviously the Rangers. They spent money. They went from fifth to first right now. And it looks like they're going to win the AL West this year. And Houston's road for the postseason is going to have to go for the wild card, which isn't as hard as it is uh, in, in the NFL. We've seen a lot of wild card and road baseball teams not only make but win the World Series. But it's still going to be difficult. Baseball is in a very similar scenario to what the NBA is right now. And that is so much young talent entered the league very quickly that if you sit and you develop prospects. Now, sometimes, obviously, we know in baseball, it takes some some guys and teams a little bit longer. It may take a team five, six, seven years to develop and get good. But once you get that talent... You should be at least sustainably good, whether it's 500, above 500, in postseason contention for the future for years to come. And so the New York Mets, who spent all that money, they're not going to get the return on their investment. I don't even think the Mets are a playoff team this year. I think the Phillies will probably, you know, get going. They'll probably be a fringe playoff team. San Diego's another one, right? They spent $200 million. Again, the Mets spent $60 more million than the Padres. They are both very disappointing. At 183.2, and again, the Yankees and their high expectations, they're behind Baltimore, who is the third least payroll in baseball. I mean, if you look at the bottom five of payroll, A's are obviously last. We know they're terrible. Pittsburgh got a nice start. They've fallen off, but they're they're at least, you know, they're competing. They've won the same amount of games. The Cubs and the Pirates, again, have spent $45.8 million. The Cubs have spent $146.5 million right there. So that's a difference of almost four times the money. Baltimore, $48.8 million, is in front of Toronto, who has spent the fifth most, the Yankees, who have spent the fourth most in their own division. You have Cincinnati, who again, right there at only 50.4 million and all that young talent, their first in the NL Central. And then Washington's getting their crap together. They're going to be good in three or four years. They're not going to be good right now, but they've spent only 57.6 million. My point being, last year in the AL wildcard round, what was maybe the best series? It was the Rays. And the Guardians, the two teams last year who played well against the Yankees. And the Guardians could have beat the Yankees in the ALDS. They were up 2-1 to on them. They pulled two straight games, unfortunately, for me as a Cleveland Guardians fan. But the Guardians and Rays modeled themselves into the same formula. Draft, develop, don't spend a lot of money. You don't need to spend it on six or seven masters of power. It'd be nice if you can develop but it's all based off pitching first. You get the pitching right, you get a couple of stars, you know, Wander Franco, Jose Ramirez, Josh Naylor, Brandon Lau. Build around your Shane Beavers, your Shane McClanahan's, and build for the draft and build for your farm system so that you're not a team like the Padres or the Mets who can go all in one year and the next year and the next year, like a SpongeBob meme, and the next year, and the next year, you're in the basement with no way out. You're trapped. So, ladies and gentlemen, after this monologue, I'm here to say that I am officially right. Uh, payroll is the most overused, overrated word in Major League Baseball. Again, the top 10 payrolls from 1 to 10. Mets, Phillies, Padres. 
Yankees, Blue Jays, Braves, Astros, Cubs, Cardinals, Rangers. Out of all of these teams, tell you right now, Yankees are going to probably make the postseason. Braves are making it. Texas is making it. And Houston probably will. That's four out of the ten. You can convince me maybe Toronto, maybe Philly, but one of them probably not. So that's out of the teams. Number one, Mets. Number three, Padres. Number eight, Cubs. Number nine, Cardinals. They're not making the postseason. And the Pirates, they had a nice story. They may get to 500 at the end of the year, but for only spending $45.8 million, that's a successful season. The Reds are going to make it to the playoffs. They have spent the fourth least amount of payroll in the league. They're currently leading the NL Central. And by the way, they have a top five record in the National League. Right there with Atlanta, the Diamondbacks, the Dodgers, and then obviously you got uh, the Marlins somewhere in there as well. But the Reds are right there as a top five record in the National League. All righty, so to wrap up today's show, enough of me babbling about Major League Baseball. Let's babble about the National Football League. So as I said, open today's show. Last Thursday, go back. I ranked my top 10 NFL teams under pressure going into the 2023 NFL season. Now, pressure was defined by different things. Obviously, the Jets have pressure on them to go win a Super Bowl. Obviously, the Broncos have pressure on them to go win games. So there's different levels to pressure, but I ranked my top 10 teams 10 to 1 in terms of who had pressure to win games and expectations to satisfy their fan bases this NFL season. As a reminder, when we come back season 8 premiere on Labor Day, I will be giving out my official NFL predictions. And of course, right after that, best bets and money line week 1 right around the corner. But I thought today it'd be fun to go through, and we're going to look at the head coaches in the National Football League. Because you know I've been saying it for the last two years on this podcast, I do not believe. There are rare exceptions, obviously, because there's an exception to every rule. But at this point in the NFL, it feels like offensive coaches and great quarterbacks are winning majority of games. They're winning Super Bowls. Offenses in the NFL are getting more clever, and defensive coaches, especially the older defensive coaches, are sticking to their roots of under center I form formations, run the ball, play good defense, win the game six to three. Eh, eh, doesn't cut it anymore in the NFL. So you'll notice on this list, 70% or seven out of 10, for those of you that don't want to do math today, 70% of these coaches on this top 10 list are going to be defensive coaches. And I will keep repeating it and repeating it and repeating it. The urgency in the NFL right now is getting a start quarterback and getting the offensive side of the ball correct first. Your offensive line, your quarterback, your receivers, your tight ends. You can even throw your running back in there. The running back is becoming a less and less important position if you have a quarterback. So without further ado, you're going to see most of these teams either have really high pressure to win or most of them are just going to get fired because they don't have a quarterback or they're not the right coach. Here we go. Top 10 NFL head coaches that are on the hot seat going into 2023. And here's a hot take to start it off. Number 10, Bill Belichick. 
Now, we know Bill Belichick. We all presume he is the greatest head coach of all time. We know he won two Super Bowls as the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants under Bill Purcell's when he coached maybe the greatest defensive player of all time in Lawrence Taylor. Then he ended up getting the greatest player of all time, a quarterback in Tom Brady. But that was after he went through cycles of quarterbacks in Cleveland. Of course, Vinny Testaverde, Bernie Kozar, and then Drew Bledsoe to start his tenure off in New England. Ever since Brady left at the start of the COVID year, he's had Cam Newton for one year. That was the COVID year. It was a disaster. We're going to kind of throw that one out because obviously it was COVID. A lot of wacky, weird things happened in the COVID year. Then he got Mac Jones as a rookie. And under Josh McDaniels, New England, which still didn't have many good receivers, by the way. They haven't had a good wide receiver number one since Randy Moss. Um... But Mac Jones put up good numbers. They were able to run the ball, good two tight end sets. They made the playoffs. And then they went up against a juggernaut in the Buffalo Bills, who had a great offensive coordinator who would soon become the New York Giants head coach in Brian David. Uh, Buffalo beat them by 30 in a snowstorm, and New England gave up 47 points. Then last year, after losing Josh McDaniels, that coaching position of the Las Vegas Raiders, Bill Belichick decided to put defensive coordinator Matt Patricia as his offensive coordinator. And um, that did not go well. New England missed the playoffs and Mac Jones severely regressed. Now this year they brought in a new offensive coordinator, a guy that worked under Belichick when Brady was there, Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien was great in college under former Bill Belichick disciple Nick Saban. But now he's back in the NFL and the Patriots' number one and number two wide receivers are Juju Smith-Schuster, who could not get any separation in his life other than when he was with the great Andy Reid in Kansas City, and Devontae Parker, who statistically over the last three years, every single one of those three years, has had the lowest separation rate against press coverage in the National Football League. That is what Mac Jones is working with. New England selected guards, kickers, and defensive linemen. No tight ends, no receivers, no offensive identity to help Mac Jones. It's going to be the same thing, folks. They're going to win six or seven games in their defense alone. Mac Jones is going to look terrible. They're going to be the slowest team in the league again. They're going to look like they're from 1990. And when asked about Bill Belichick's job security, whether he is in New England to pass Don Shua with the most amount of wins in the history of the National Football League, Robert Kraft said, he just wants Super Bowl number seven. And Rob, unless somehow Bill Belichick comes to his senses and realizes he needs to completely modernize his offense in the modern game, and that may even include getting rid of Mac Jones and going to get a mobile quarterback, you're not going to get Super Bowl number seven. And, you know, we've seen it. Egos and dynasties. That's what always happens with dynasties. People want the credit. Brady obviously went to Tampa and won a Super Bowl on his own. Belichick wants to prove he can win a Super Bowl without Brady in New England. I think Belichick could probably win another Super Bowl, but I don't think it's going to be in New England. Number nine, 
Mike McCarthy of the Dallas Cowboys. Now, Mike McCarthy is pretty low on this list compared to some of these other coaches, but there's always going to be some pressure on Mike McCarthy because he is the coach of, quote-unquote, America's team. But there's a little bit more pressure on him this year because offensive coordinator Kellen Moore is now the offensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Chargers. And Mike McCarthy is going to take over play calling for the first time in four years. This obviously being the third year he was with Dallas and then his off year once he got fired from Green Bay. Uh, it sounds like they're going to change the verbiage. They're going to change the offense. It sounds like it's going to be a lot like what Mike McCarthy ran in Green Bay under Aaron Rodgers. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for Dak and Dallas to adjust. And Mike McCarthy wanted Kellen Moore out the door. Mike McCarthy wanted to be a play caller again because I think he was sick and tired of people like me saying all he does is stare at the ceiling and look like he's sleeping. Um, if Dallas somehow plummets this year, and especially considering the weak state of the NFC, will Jerry Jones make a move? Will comfortable, old, rigid Jerry Jones, a lot like old, comfortable, rigid Bill Belichick, Will Jerry make a move and fire Mike McCarthy? Only time will tell, but he's certainly under a little bit of pressure. Now, he would have been higher if the news of a contract extension did not come out, but I'm going to put Sean McDermott here in the Buffalo Bills. Listen, I had a little bit of a hot take at the end when the Bills lost that Cincinnati game, uh, obviously in the divisional round this past season. I would have fired Sean McDermott. I think he has ran his course in Buffalo. Buffalo, over the last three years, has technically gone backwards. 2020 COVID year. They went to the AFC Championship game. They faced Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. They could not get it done. They were not ready for the moment. Okay. The year after that, they should have beat Kansas City in the divisional round. And everybody in Buffalo thought that was the year they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and Patrick Mahomes happened, and they watched one of the top five craziest NFL games of all time. And then last year, they're at home in a snowy, blizzardy condition against Cincinnati, and yes, Cincinnati is outdoors, but you are also outdoors, and you're home, Bill's Mafia, you have an equal quarterback, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, you have an equal amount of weapons, your defense on the front side is probably better than Cincinnati's. Cincinnati just played a tough, grueling divisional round game against Baltimore. You had to play a little bit of an easier divisional round game because you were to go up against Skyward Thompson and the Miami Dolphins. And yet, Buffalo completely laid an egg. And at the end of last year, offensive corner Ken Dorsey did not seem to know what he was doing. And Josh Allen regressed without Brian Dable. Now, obviously, the Bills just gave him and their GM, Brandon Bean, a contract extension amidst the, amidst this, the uh, Stefan Diggs drama, which, by the way, I do believe the Diggs drama is a factor. It's why I've changed my divisional prediction, and I've said this already. I wonder if a spoiler, but I got Miami over Buffalo in the division because of it. I still think Buffalo can make the playoffs, but if this thing goes sideways, I don't care about Sean McDermott's contract extension. Buffalo's not going to trade Josh Allen. So who's going to go? That being the coach, Sean McDermott. And he's a defensive coach, and you need an offensive coach, I believe, to help elevate Josh Allen in 2023. Number seven, 
is Matt Eberflus. Now, he's going to star in Justin Fields. Now, Matt Eberflus and the current GM, what his name's Ryan Poes, uh, they did not drop Justin Fields. That was under the previous regime with, with, with coach uh, Matt Nagy, and I believe the GM was Ryan Pace. Uh, so, you can say the pressure's on Justin Fields to play well. Now, Fields was not that good of a passer last year, but he did not have many weapons. The addition of DJ Moore is really going to help that offense out. But this is going to be year two of, of Eberfuss. And if they're the worst team in the league again, if Fields does play well, which I think he's going to have a better year, but they don't win games, you might say, you know what? Let's take the Miami approach like they did with Brian Flores, who was a very good defensive coach. They won games, but Tua literally looked like a bust under Brian Flores. Let's get an offensive-minded coach in Mike McDaniel, and let's, I don't know, when Tua's healthy, turn him into an MVP candidate. That could be what Justin Fields gets. I think he needs better coaching. I don't think Luke Getzey is a bad uh, offensive mind. I just think Eberflus and that staff is very conservative. They're not going to let you know the tires loose uh, on Fields like I think he would be under an offensive coach. That would expose more of his dynamicism, if you will. So I got Matt Eberflus at 7. If things go wrong in Chicago, Eberflus is out. I believe before Justin Fields, though we don't know truly if Justin Fields is a franchise quarterback yet or not. Me personally, I'm really 50-50. I'm on the fence. Number six is Ron Rivera. There is a reason why Washington brought in Eric B. Enemy as their offensive coordinator this year. Ron Rivera realizes he has to win. Sam Howell or not, he has to win or he's not going to have a job. How many times have I told my friend Austin Arnold, great Washington Commanders fan, when he's come on the show for the last two years, I've said I would fire Ron Rivera. He's old, he's rigid, he had a good run with Cam, but that feels like a decade ago, and it pretty much almost was. Uh, and in Washington, he has never been able to get the quarterback right. He got it right for one year with Alex Smith in a wonky COVID year where Dak Prescott got hurt and the Giants were terrible and the Eagles were dealing with personal problems with Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson upstairs. And, you know, it's been a rotating door for Washington and it's about to be four-year tenure. Alex Smith, um, Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, you know, um, I'm forgetting. I think, did they have Chase Daniel uh, at, at one point? I think Dwayne Askins was there one year for Ron Rivera. Rest in peace, Dwayne Askins. So they've gone through so many quarterbacks. Uh, now, I, from what I've seen out of Sam, oh, I think he can play. And I think Eric enemy is going to get that offense up to speed. Great weapons, Terry McCorn, Curtis Samuel, Brian Robinson out of the backfield. Decent offensive line. We know what they have up front with Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Chase Young. Washington is a really good built roster. They need about a, one more offensive lineman, maybe a tight end, and some secondary work and just some overall winning and maturity. But Ron Rivera is into turning around. If not, he's going to get blamed. And I can see Eric Bieniemy taking that head coaching spot. Very similar. Number five is Todd Bowles. Now, Todd Bowles replaced Bruce Arians in Tampa Bay. We know that was very controversial because we know Bruce Arians did not want to leave the sideline, but um, Brady wanted him to leave the sideline so him and Byron Luffridge could run the show. Well, Byron Luffridge is gone. Obviously, Brady is gone. 
Todd Bowles felt like he was on borrowed time last year when he won that horrible division uh, at 8-9 with a very talented team that, for the most part, underachieved. You still got Mike Evans. You still got Chris Godwin. You still got Shaq Berry. You still got Levante David. You still got some of those corners back there. Like, I liked Tampa's roster a lot. A lot of people say the issue, and I agree with this, is going to be Baker Mayfield, the quarterback. I think Tampa wants a stopgap. I don't think they, they want to win that much. That's why they signed Baker. They want to, you know, kind of show the motion they're going to win. Even though they're not going to win a lot, they're going to tank for Caleb Williams. And at no fault of his own, Todd Bowles is going to be fired. Todd Bowles is a very good defensive coordinator. He's not a very good head coach. He'll find a job somewhere. But I'm sorry, the writing is on the wall here. At the end of the year, Tampa's going to try to get Caleb Williams or Drake May out of North Carolina. Again, a good roster that one of those kids can come in there, I believe, even if they trade one of the older pieces like a Mike Evans or a Chris Godwin, get something back, uh, and still in a bad division, I think you could compete very quickly. But Bowles is going to be out at the end of the year. Number four is Josh McDaniels, who... Very interestingly enough, I think it's likely he could be out at the end of this year. His second go-around as a head coach was supposed to be a lot better than what it has been so far. And the Raiders last year had Derek Carr. They had Josh Jacobs, who almost led the league in rushing. They had Devontae Adams. They had Darren Wall. They had Hunter Renfro. And they could not move the ball on offense. They couldn't block anybody. Their offensive line was okay, and yet they couldn't block anybody, and they couldn't stop anybody because they did have two pass rushers, Max Crosby, Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones was seemingly always hurt. Uh, they could not get after the quarterback. And we saw Derek Carr, who was with the Raiders organization, Oakland and Vegas, for a long time, pretty much blast Josh McDaniels, saying the Raiders had no idea what they were doing, and Devontae Adams has basically asked for a trade and saying Josh McDaniels' offense is like reading Chinese. He said it's very complicated, and the only player that ever figured it out really was Tom Brady. Uh, McDaniels is very intense. Uh, I thought he was going to learn his lesson from his first time being head coach in Denver after going to New England, but McDaniels seems very aloof very icky he obviously turned down the Colts job and it feels like this Vegas job yes they signed Jimmy Garoppolo but Jimmy Garoppolo has even passed their physical now as of right now they do have tonight pieces on the roster I think they're gonna win games in a very tough division but if Vegas is in your top three top four you know big territory are you gonna let McDaniels hand pick his quarterback again or are you going to get a new voice in there, a new regime? Again, it's been very turbulent uh, in Vegas. And sort of let McDaniels go back to New England on his merry way. And maybe McDaniels, a fresh start, new offensive mind in New England. You send Belichick upstairs and you give McDaniels that New England operation. That I could see very well happening. Number three on this list is Kevin Stefanski. And this is very simple. The Browns this year, if the AFC wasn't so tough, the Browns would have to make the playoffs. However, when you look at, you know, the Bills, the Dolphins, the Jets, uh, Cincinnati, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, Kansas City, Chargers, Broncos, what I named there, something seven, eight teams, it's not including the Browns, not including New England, 
not including Vegas, not including Indy, not including Houston. Like the AFC is pretty freaking loaded. And so I don't think the Browns need to win games. But ever since the COVID year where Stefanski won coach of the year, uh, the Browns won 11 and 5, obviously, and made the divisional round and played Kansas City. Stefanski's gone backwards every single year. He essentially tore the relationship with him and Baker Mayfield. Him, Jimmy Aslam, Andrew Berry went out. They went to that, you know, on Jimmy's private jet. They went and got Deshaun Watson. It was a disastrous year offensively for the Browns. Good starts always, bad finishes. It was good scripting early by Stefanski, bad adjuster by Stefanski. Very run-centric, very tight end-centric. It sounds like they're going to change the offense this year to be more shotgun, more pass-heavy. You know, Deshaun Watson-oriented, which is, again, what modern-day NFL football is about. I like to hear that. I don't even think the Browns need Nick Chubb. They already got rid of Kareem Hunt. I think next year Nick Chubb could potentially be a surprise trade piece as well. If you want to get another receiver and build more around Watson, I would love this team a lot more than DeAndre Hopkins. I still don't think Amari Cooper is a number one. I think he's a very high phenomenal number two. I think he's a sort of average slash below average number one. That sometimes can make all the difference in this league when you're great. Number two can't separate if he's a number one. Amari Cooper has games on the road where he strangely disappears. And with their competition, there's a lot of the things that are going against the Browns, but their roster is great. Their new coordinators, Jim Schwartz defensively is going to do a great job. Bubba Ventrone on special teams is going to do a great job. And the Browns have to win games this year. Deshaun Watson has to look like he's a semblance of his time in Houston because otherwise Kevin Stefanski will be looking for another job come 2024. The next two are pretty obvious. Number two, Robert Sawa. Obviously, there's no one to say about the Jets. He did win seven games last year without a quarterback. But expectation in New York is going to be basically Super Bowl or bust when you have one or two years with Aaron Rodgers. So even when you're in that division with Mike McDaniel, with McDermott, with Belichick, who two of the three, by the way, are on this odd seat list, uh, even when you're in that gauntlet of the AFC, even when Aaron Rodgers has never dealt with the receivers before in the Jets, you like your young talent, you don't want to waste them. And if it does not work out with Aaron Rodgers and they're a bad football team, a lot like Tampa was last year uh, with Brady, then Robert Sala is not going to keep his job and probably neither is Joe Douglas and the Jets are going to have to blow it up and try to find another quarterback. That's just the way the NFL works. And number one is the most obvious on this list. Easily the number one head coach in the hot seat going into next year is Brandon Staley of the Los Angeles Chargers, who did it once again last year when he blew that humongous lead against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the wild card round. This will now be year three for Brandon Staley, year four for Justin Herber, who is, by the way, possibly a top five Top six quarterback in the NFL. You have Keenan Allen. 
You have Mike Williams. You have all the weapons in the world. Great left tackle and Rashawn Slater. Their defense, which Staley is a defensive mind of that coach, started to come around at the end of last year. But when you have that tremendous talent and Herbert and you're over one in the playoffs and the way you lost that and the way you lost the previous year against the Raiders when you could have taken a tie and gotten into the postseason and said the Raiders kicked the field goal and sent the Chargers home. Yeah, uh, Brandon Staley, defensive minded head coach for a guy in Justin Herbert who needs an offensive minded head coach or a very good offensive coordinator, which he's going to get with Kellen Moore. The Chargers have one of the top five rosters in the NFL. They're right up there with Kansas City, Philly, Buffalo, Cincinnati, San Francisco. They should be right there as a top five, top six team in the NFL this year. The division's going to earn their record a little bit, but they're a very dangerous team that's used to playing on the road because they don't have many hometown fans, and they do not win at least a playoff game or two this year. Brandon Staley will be packing his bags and not returning to the Charger facility anytime soon. So my top 10 NFL head coaches under pressure in 2023 are Bill Belichick, Mike McCarthy, Sean McDermott, Matt Eberflus, Ron Rivera, Todd Bowles, Judge McDaniels, Kevin Stefanski, Robert Sawa, Brandon Staley. Let me know who you would swap out down below. And I thank you very much today for watching us listening to the Brandon's World Podcast. Again, we are in collaboration with the one and only Voltage Live. Follow me on Twitter at Brandon Lewis underscore seven. You can follow the show at real underscore B world. We will see you guys back here on Tuesday. We're going to me and Jalen Sandvik will be playing NBA and NFL deal or no deal. Damian Lower, Zion Williamson, Stefan Dix, Trey Lance. Will I find a deal for those players? That is the question we'll find out then. I hope you guys have a wonderful and terrific weekend. And we'll see you guys on Tuesday. Peace.